at an early age. We're going to take our Bibles together today. We're going to go to the book of Ephesians, chapter number four today. We're on part number six of Standing for Truth, and this is Speaking the Truth in Love. Ephesians chapter number four. And let's stand together for the reading of God's word out of respect for his word. And we'll read verse number 15 together. Ephesians 4, 15. Are you there? You ready to read? Let's read. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Let's stop there for the God's Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would bless our time in your word. I ask that you would give us um, your heart on this topic, this issue of truth, uh, one of the most um, foundational things that we could teach on, truth. You said that your word is truth. We know that Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is the living word. I do pray that you would help us, though, to uh, balance truth with love, mercy and truth, law and grace. I do ask that you would give us, uh, in our own personal lives, a heart of love, but a heart that will stand when it comes down to these foundational doctrines of truth. I pray that you would bless all that is said and done in this service. May you receive the glory. Help us to change for eternity. And uh, Lord, help us to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. Uh, Timothy uh, was a pastor in, in Ephesus. And, uh, but Paul wrote this while Paul was in prison in Rome. And the letter here addresses unity it addresses living a life worthy for, of, of our calling. Uh, when we read that in verse number one, actually, if you would go to verse number one, Paul starts the chapter here. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation which, wherewith ye are called. Uh, Paul says here in verse number one that he's the prisoner of the Lord. In Romans, in First and Second Corinthians, in First and Second Timothy, in Titus, Ephesians, Galatians, and Colossians, and there could be other places, but these are the ones that I found. He greets the brethren as the apostle, the apostolos, the messenger of Jesus Christ. Paul definitely was an apostle. He actually called himself the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, but in Philippians, as well as Romans and Titus, Paul calls himself a servant. A servant of God or the servant of Christ. In some places he calls himself an apostle and a servant. But in those books he says, I'm a servant. Um, sadly, our English word servant that we read in the Bible here does not quite adequately express what Paul means uh, by that Greek word doulos. The word doulos, which is translated servant in our Bible, it appears 130 times in the New Testament. It literally means, in its most literal sense, it means slave. To understand this better, Paul understood that when he followed Christ, he became God's property. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the Bible says, Paul writes, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Now, I've heard people say, well, you've got to take care of your body. Your body's a temple, but who's... Whose temple is our body? It's God's temple, amen? Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And uh, the Bible says, that Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Now, how much did it cost for us to go to heaven, for us to have eternal life? How much is it going to cost us to go to heaven? It's going to cost us nothing because Jesus paid the way for you and me to go to heaven. 
It costs him something, but it costs us nothing. But the price that Paul is talking about, you're bought with a price, that price is the blood of Jesus Christ, amen? And he says in verse 24, you're bought with a price, therefore, because you're not your own, and because you cost something, he says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When you look in the mirror, you have to say to yourself in all honesty, if you're a true child of God, you say, I am not my own. I belong to God. And you can even point at yourself in the mirror and say, you belong to God. And some people might say, well, I, don't, I like my independence. I don't want that. Well, you have to either serve God or you're going to serve Satan. So you got to make that choice. That's up to you. You might say, no, I'm going to serve myself. Well, by serving yourself, and I'm not trying to be unkind, but serving anything other than God is idolatry. And if you're serving yourself, you're ultimately serving the God of this world who is Satan. So you gotta make that choice. Am I God's child? Am I God's servant? Am I gonna consider myself to be his? Or am I gonna uh, maintain my independence and rebel against God's way? Uh, and there's great love and safety and protection in being uh, owned and uh, servant, a servant of God. And Paul understood that. He conveys that message. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, you go back another chapter, he he says, ye are bought with a price. Be ye not servants of men. God owns you, so don't sell yourself out to someone else. In first, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy, Philemon, and here twice in Ephesians, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. You saw that in verse number one of chapter four. He says, I therefore, look at it again, please look at it. He says, I therefore the, what's the next word? Prisoner. Uh, specifically a prisoner of the Lord. He literally is talking about the fact that he was physically in prison. And although he was very much Nero's prisoner, he considered himself to be God's prisoner. He would rather consider himself to be a prisoner of Christ because of the reasons that he went to jail. Paul didn't become Nero's prisoner because he didn't pay his debts. He wasn't Nero's prisoner because he had committed some crime uh, that we would consider uh, something bad or ungodly. He wasn't incarcerated for anything other than preaching the gospel. And so because he was in jail and because he was in prison for God, he said, I am God's prisoner. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, if you go back one chapter, he says here, again, for this cause I, Paul, the, what's the next word? The prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He's saying, on your behalf, I am God's prisoner. On your behalf, for this account, on the preaching of this doctrine, he says, for this cause, for the, the reasons that he outlined in previous chapters, on the basis of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am therefore a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he says, I was also made a prisoner at Rome because not only was I preaching, uh, but I was preaching to you Gentiles. He is the Gentile, the, uh, the apostle of the Gentiles. He says, I was preaching to you, and because of that, I am put in prison. He wasn't bemoaning, he wasn't complaining, he wasn't crying, but he's just stating some facts. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, in view of the great glorious truths which God has revealed and the grace which he has manifested toward you who are Gentiles. Because I preach the gospel to you, he says, I am God's prisoner. And because I'm God's prisoner and because of the doctrine that I've outlined here, he says, I beseech you, I implore, I am beg you, I beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Hey, we don't have our life to live however we want to live. You might think, well, I can do whatever I want to do. You might even say, well, I'm going to heaven, so it doesn't matter anymore what I do. My friend, we are not our own. If I wasn't clear about that earlier, I'll be clear about it again. We belong to God. We are his, his servants. And Paul, Paul says, because, because of the glorious gospel, because of salvation, you can't just do whatever you want to do. He says, I, I, I beseech you that you find the higher uh, calling in your life, and that is to live for the Lord. Uh, an outline of chapter 4 could follow this. Uh, we, we, we showed you verse number 1, and we'll look at the other verses, but uh, verses 4 through 6, overall, the heading would be the diversity of gifts. 
uh, or, I'm sorry, the unity of the church. Verses 7 through 11 is the, uh, uh, the diversity of gifts. In verses 12 through 13, we see the goal of maturity. And then in verses 14, as we read verse 14 already, we see the importance of speaking the truth in love. All right, so let's go down to verse number 2. We read verse 1. He says, walk worthy, the vocation where worthy are called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. What is long-suffering? Long-suffering is being patient with one another. He says, forbearing one another in love. That means that we don't just come down on somebody. We show them love, patience, long-suffering. We forbear with them. We suffer long with them. He says, verse 3, endeavoring. Why do we do that? Why are we patient? Why are we long-suffering? Well, the goal is unity. He says here in verse number 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body. There's one Spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all, through you all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherewith he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, he gave gifts unto men. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he went to paradise, which uh, for, in layman's terms would probably just be considered a holding place, a temporary place where those that had died uh, before the cross, they were protected from being in hell. They were there in proximity to help you. Remember the story of uh, Jesus told of the, the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, the story goes like this. The rich man died. He went to hell. The poor man, Lazarus, he died, but because of his faith, he didn't go to hell. He went to paradise or Abraham's bosom. And we know that there in Abraham's bosom, he could look across the great gulf and he could see into hell. He could see the rich man. And that's, that is essentially where Jesus went was that place of paradise. He was not in hell, but he was across the gulf from hell. But when he rose from the grave, the Bible tells us that he took all of those that were captive in that place called paradise and he was able to then take them up to heaven because he had finished the work that that God had ordained from the found, before the foundation of the world. We see that they went to heaven. And uh, because of that, we see here in verse number, uh, verse number eight, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And then what did he do? Those that were here that were uh, believers in Jesus Christ, he gave gifts. He gave us gifts. Uh, we have many gifts. We could go through that. We're not going to talk about that today, but I'm just giving you a background. Verse number nine. Now that he ascended, what is it that he has descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended into the same also that ascended up far above heavens, that he might fill all things. And this is uh, specifically to the church in verse number 11. He gave some apostles. Paul was an apostle. We know that there are others that were apostles. We, we can read of the 12 apostles. Uh, and then Paul would have been number 13. But he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Every gift that God has given to the church, uh, whether it be a pastor or whether it be an evangelist, whether it be a teacher, whether it be uh, an apostle, every one of those gifts that God gave to the church was for the purpose of building up the church in faith. And then he says there in verse number 12, the perfecting, the building up, edifying of the saints. For what was the purpose of all of this? Why are we edified? Why do we learn the Bible? Why do we have somebody preach the Bible? Why do we have instruction and discipleship? For the work of the ministry, Paul says there in verse number 12. For the work of the ministry. Not just so we can get smarter. My brother-in-law used to say, are you going to college? Back when I, when I was in college, he said, uh, Paul's going to college to get more knowledge. Now, we don't come to church for the purpose of just getting more knowledge. Uh, knowledge needs to be applied. We need to apply what we are learning. What the Holy Spirit is teaching us through the Word is not just so we can be uh, somehow smarter and, and somehow have more uh, information. Because we don't, God didn't want to give us information to let it die. He gives us uh, information so that we can apply it and help us to grow. Some people get, uh, get uh, frustrated. They wonder, why am I struggling in my spiritual walk? He said, why am I not growing like I want to grow, like I know I should be growing? Because 
When God gives you instruction and you don't follow God's instruction, when you don't apply what you're learning, then you start to die. You start, you, you become stagnant spiritually, okay? You start to uh, have uh, problems in your Christian walk. You get frustrated. You get sometimes bitter at God. You get uh, angry because uh, things are not where you know they should be. But somewhere along the line, in a crisis of faith, you chose to follow that which you thought was right rather than follow what you were told was right. And how do you get right? How do you get back to where you should be? Well, you, uh, you go back to that point in your spiritual walk where God is convicting you and say, I'm going to choose faith. I'm going to choose the right way. I'm going to choose to grow and trust God rather than just follow what I can see. The Bible says that we should not lean unto our own understanding, but in all our ways we need to acknowledge him and allow him to direct our paths. So we see here, uh, speaking of truth, we're going to get back on, on track here. Verse number 13, okay? Look at it if you would. Till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man unto also the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of unity, the purpose of teaching, the purpose of growth is that we would become more like Jesus. We see that in Romans uh, 8.29. We looked at that on Thursday night. Verse 14. That we henceforth, from this time forward, be no more children or immature Christians, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine uh, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby we lie wait. Uh, they lie waiting to deceive. Are there people out there that are using the Bible and using Christianity and using Jesus' name for their own wicked gain? Are there people that are teaching the word of God so that they can enrich themselves? Yes. Are there people that are twisting the Bible, turning away people from God, but they're using scripture? Yes. I can't believe somebody would do that. Well, Satan does it, doesn't he? In the Garden of Eden, Satan came to Eve and said, Yea, hath God said, and he, 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 uh, he did not deny what God had said, but he twisted what God had told Eve. When uh, Jesus faced Satan in the wilderness during his 40 days of fasting, what we call the temptation of Christ, uh, when Jesus was there in the wilderness, did Satan come along and he used scripture, didn't he? Did, did he, uh, did, was he afraid to use the Bible to uh, push his agenda? No, he twisted scripture. Even to the very son of God, Satan twisted and perverted scripture. So there are people out there that will take the word of God and they will, uh, they will, uh, they will use scripture to uh, trip up those who are immature in the faith. That is why we need to be in the scriptures. We need to be yielded to the uh, spirit of God and growing in our faith because if not, we will become prey to the very, those that are twisting the word of God for their own gain. He says there in verse number 14 that from this time forth we would not be immature Christians tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But this goes to verse number 15. But speaking the truth in love. Now we've been talking a lot about truth, haven't we? We've been talking a lot about uh, what is truth. We've been trying to define that. And that, that is good for us to know what, the, what truth is. But we need to speak the truth in love. First of all, what is truth? We'll give you, for those that haven't been here, we'll give an overview. Truth is God's word. In John 17, 17, Jesus was told, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We see the high priestly prayer there in John 17. God's word is truth. Then we see that truth is Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, what did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am the truth and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is also objective and unchanging. People will say, well, that's not my truth, that's your truth. But my friend, the word of God is objective truth. It is your truth. It is my truth. But most importantly, it is God's truth. And God's truth, his word, applies to your life as well as it does my life. 
as well as everyone else's life, whether they decide to believe in God or not. Because God is overall, he is sovereign over all his creation. And there's many people that would like to deny, who, deny God. They'd say, I don't believe in God. If they're honest in their heart, they would have to say, I don't know. <laughs> but there's a lot of people that def- they're definite on this. They say, I, I know there is no God. That's arrogance. It's pride. And actually, we discussed in our Sunday school, it, the root of all of that is a rebellion against God. Because read Romans 1 and 2. God says, you're without excuse. Because of creation, because of a moral conscience, we have a free will. We have uh, the ability to reject God. Yes, that is true. But that doesn't mean that God is not who the Word of God says He is. And this truth applies to all people equally. Truth also exposes sin. And then we see in John eight thirty two that truth sets us free. Uh, you know that passage, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, we see that truth transforms us. In Romans 12, 2, we've looked at that verse, uh, that, uh, that by the renewing of re- your mind, uh, you will, uh, that um, he says in ro- verse 1 of tr- chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. We saw how truth will transform us. It changes the way we think. When you read the word of God and you listen to the spirit of God, the spirit of God guides us and directs us, and then we begin to submit. We're applying what we're learning, and we we begin to grow, and we begin to change, and we begin to become transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we can make up. It's not something that we can fabricate. So many people try to become like God, try to become like Jesus. They try to become a better person. But my friend, you have to submit to God. You have to submit to his word and follow his leading and his path. Truth is God's word, pure and divine. In Jesus Christ, it does shine. Objective and unchanging it remains, exposing sin and breaking chains. For those who seek it, it sets them free, transforming hearts and minds to be more like Christ in all they do, living for him, faithful and true. So let us hold fast to the truth we know, and in in its light let our lives glow, reflecting Christ for all to see until we reach eternity. So what is truth? We looked at that. Number two, what is love? Love is God's nature. 1 John 4, 8 tells us about God's love. Uh, Love is also selfish and sacrificial. Love is a commandment as well as a choice. Love is a choice. A true love chooses to love somebody not based on uh, what they've done for you, not based on uh, how you feel about them. You're choosing to love them. Uh, it it, 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 It has nothing to do with Uh, what they've done, but everything to do with your choice. Love also builds up. Love fosters unity. Love reflects Christ. There's a song uh, that was written many years ago called Love is the Theme. Love is the the theme. Love is supreme. Sweeter it grows, glory it bestows. Bright as the sun, ever it glows. Love is the theme, eternal theme. So thank God we have truth, and thank God you have a good Bible in front of you. You have a good translation of God's Word in your language. Uh, You may even study the Word. Praise God for that. I I hope that you have a regular routine of studying God's Word. Uh, You might uh, have good doctrine. You might live a moral life. You might be an upstanding member of the community. You have strong faith. All of those things are good. But do you have God's love for other people do you have a heart of compassion for those less fortunate the unsaved uh maybe the erring brother the backslidden christian do you have compassion for those who hate you go with me to first corinthians 13 and we're almost done here today but first corinthians 13 it is one thing to have truth it is another thing to have love and it is a a whole nother thing to have the truth in love 1 Corinthians 13, and this is the heart of God's message. Not to just have truth, not just to have love, because sometimes people say, well, God is love, that is who he is, God is love. Yes, he is love, but God is also holy. 
and God is also uh, righteous, and that speaks of truth, holiness, justice. All of those things are on that side of the scale. If I had uh, with me the balances, have you ever seen maybe uh, the balances of justice at a, maybe in a courtroom or depicted on a lawyer's uh, business card or something like that? You've got the scale, and you've got two sides to that scale, and uh, hopefully you find a balance somewhere, right? Uh, but with all of the good attributes of love and, and, um, and uh, that we look at it, God, we, we like that part many times. But what, what those that are not saved in this world, what they want to reject is God's righteousness and holiness. And in our wicked hearts, our human sinful nature rejects holiness and righteousness and truth. Truth goes against the grain for most people. Truth goes against the grain definitely in our human sinful nature. But when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you, uh, when you follow Christ, you embrace Jesus, you begin to develop a heart for truth and a love for truth. Your new nature is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, old things are passed away. Your mind changes, as we read in Romans 12, 2, the renewing, the transforming of our mind. Uh, we begin to think differently. And now truth that we once rejected, the objectivity of truth and how we thought, well, that's, that's fine for people who go to church, but that's not true for me. Once you become a believer in Jesus and you're following the word, you begin to develop a heart for truth and holiness and righteousness. But back to the scale, if you would. We've got love over here, and some people say, well, God is love, and that's all he is. But that's an imbalance. God balances his love with holiness. Love and truth. They go hand in hand. But do you have the truth? And are you applying truth in your life with love? First of all, uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you apply truth in your life when concerning your, your own walk with God and your needs in your life? Are you looking at yourself objectively through the lens of God's word and dealing with problems as they arise? The Holy Spirit convicts you. Are you admitting uh, to God, uh, as 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, to confess your sin? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But that word confess means to say the same thing God says. Or are you uh, looking at yourself uh, in some twisted way and, saying, and justifying it and say, well, my sin is justified because of my situation, because of my back, background, my upbringing. No, my friend, we gotta reject that kind of twisted thinking and just say, I'm gonna look at myself truthfully, the way that God sees me. But you need to balance that truth with God's love. Sometimes we allow the devil to get in and, and, and to make us feel guilty about things that have already been forgiven in the past. So remember that although, yes, we were a sinner. Now positionally we are sanctified in Christ Jesus and we are not the same. And because of God's love, we're not who we used to be. The devil wants to bring up the past and tell us how wicked and, and how, uh, how ungodly we were. But because of the love of God, we have received mercy. And so that's why I'm saying talk, uh, talk through this, think through this. Are you objectively looking at your life through truth, but also balance that with love? And now, are we objectively looking at those around us? And we say, well, those wicked heathens, they need to, they need to go to hell. Well, so did we. We, deserve, we. we all deserved it. But are we going to balance that uh, true statement that all deserve punishment, all have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God, are we going to balance that with, uh, with uh, Romans 6.23? The wages of sin is death. We deserve it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there's the balance. Oh, may we not be an unbalanced, imbalanced Christian. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 uh, lays this out. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love or charity i am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal and though i have the gifts of prophecy now all of these things are good things they're spiritual gifts 
He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Well, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? There's a lot of people that will pat themselves on the back and say, well, I'm a man of faith. I, I, have, I have the gift of God in my life. I, 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 I know what's right and what's wrong. I know what truth is. I have a good doctrine. I have a good Bible. And so on. But then, without love, it's utterly worthless. Because it's an imbalance. Verse number three. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Have the truth. But having the truth and speaking the truth without a heart of compassion is unbiblical. There are many times where we will clearly need to admonish a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. And we need to correct a brother or a sister in Christ. There are times where we are, we are called of God to deal with sin. Amen? And we need to deal with sin in, in, in the church at times. But criticizing somebody for their mistakes without offering any guidance or support to help them improve is not God's love. That's not compassion. Pointing out somebody's flaws is cruel uh, without love. If you're mocking them, if you're critiquing them without a heart of compassion and love, you know, uh, a good way to uh, measure this is to say, if I am critiquing somebody without the goal of helping them in their life, with their best interests at heart. If I'm doing it because it maybe is annoying to me that somebody's doing something, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna lay into them because of what they're doing. It is, it is uh, you know, bothering me in some way. And it's a self, that is a selfish motive. But if I am coming to them and saying, look, there is something that is going on in your life and you're doing it privately in the right way through the proper channels, according to Matthew 18, and you're dealing with a sin issue, and you go to them and say, this is an issue, brother or sister, and, and this is something that you need to grow in. I'm just helping you out. And you're doing that, that out of a heart of love. That is the right way to do it. Telling somebody or uh, someone something that they need to hear, but doing it in a way that is intentionally hurtful or insensitive is not Christ-like. Using the truth as a weapon to shame or embarrass somebody rather than to promote understanding or resolution is abuse. So truth is not something that we should keep to ourselves. We understand that. We need to, we're called to share the gospel, to share the truth. There are people in our lives that need to hear the truth from our tongue because they may, may never hear the truth from anyone else's tongue. But we need to do that. We need to share the truth in love because sharing the truth in the love, or without love, I should say, can do more harm than good. If you really study the life of Christ, you'll see the divine balance of truth and love. I, I look at uh, John chapter 8, and you don't need to turn there. But in John chapter 8, uh, Jesus encountered the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And what were they about to do to this woman? All these self-righteous people had gathered around her basically in a circle. They had gathered around her, and they were picking up stones for the purpose of taking her life for her capital crime of committing adultery. And they brought her to Christ, and... What did Jesus do? Did he condone her? Did he say, what you're doing is just, just fine? You know, these people are self-righteous, so, you know, they're actually uh, more sinful than you, so what you're doing is actually justified and okay. He didn't condone her sin. Did he condemn her? Did he say, you wicked woman, I can't believe what you did. Shame on you. I'm gonna pick up a stone and I'm gonna join them in stoning you. Now, Jesus didn't condone her sin, nor did she nor did he condemn her soul. Uh, why did Jesus come into the world? Jesus did not come into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But the very fact that Jesus had to die on the cross shows us how serious God is about sin because our sin deserves eternal punishment. And that's why a holy God uh, in the form of Jesus the God-man, the physical 
manifestation of God, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus gave his very life on the cross because he's the only one that could have done it because of his perfect sinless blood. He is the only one that could shed his blood and pay for the sins of the world. But God is very serious about sin, but he didn't come to condemn us. Why? Because we were already condemned to hell. He came to give us a way out, a way of escape, but he doesn't condone it. He doesn't just brush it under the rug. He says, this has to be dealt with. And his admonition to this woman was, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. So studying Jesus, we see a balance of love and truth. He didn't shy away from acknowledging her sin. But he also didn't condemn her. Instead, he showed her love and forgiveness while still upholding truth. He told her, go and sin no more. He balanced truth with love. And in this case, specifically, he shows mercy. When someone uh, who we know is not a desirable person, when they show up in our life, are we merciful to them? Or are we quick to condemn them? Many times we already know, we, we know what people's problems are. And if we're not in the right spirit, we're very quick to be judgmental and to be unkind and intentionally uh, unkind and unloving, malicious, passive aggressive. You know, we're not exactly saying something mean, but we're saying something in such a way that we're passively aggressively being unkind. Maybe our gift is to be merciful, but we're struggling on the other end. We're struggling to balance that love and mercy with truth. Maybe we're compassionate without dealing with the sin. See, again, this is an imbalance where we are showing so much love that we're not actually dealing with the sin. Uh, You know, it's the exact opposite of what we've been talking about, where some people are just so judgmental and unkind. They're lacking compassion. How about us? Are we dealing with this? Are we struggling with being too compassionate without dealing with sin? Mercy and love do not necessarily mean excusing harmful uh, sin and behavior. It's ignoring uh, or ignoring the truth. Rather, it means being merciful, truly merciful, means to approach a difficult situation with a mindset of forgiveness, compassion. Number three, how do we speak the truth in love? Letter A, we need to be humble. We're sinners just like everyone else. You could probably point to the person next to you in all honesty and truth and just say that you are a sinner. You are a dirty, rotten sinner. Now praise God for his salvation. If you're saved by grace, you're no longer a sinner in God's eyes. You're a saint. You're sanctified. You're set apart. But we all were sinners at one time. We need to be humble and recognize our own sinfulness. We have a human, uh, we have a sin nature that is still hanging around, that the vestiges of sin uh, are always pulling at us. Our flesh is pulling at us. Number two, we need to avoid a self-righteous attitude. We think of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. For the Pharisee, who was the religious man, he comes into the temple and he, 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 uh, he basically brags to God out loud in a prayer. <laughs> and then the publican, who, who is known by society, he was labeled as a wicked sinner. He wouldn't even, uh, when he prayed, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He, the Bible says he wouldn't even so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but he, he begged God for forgiveness. And Jesus said, well, who do you think left that day justified? Avoid self-righteousness. Boy, we need to get rid of this junk out of our churches. The self-righteousness. It's because we're, we're putting on a facade. We want to put on a show. We want people to think well of us. But the, we need to just be honest. People of integrity, as we talked about two weeks ago, and just be who, we, who God created us to be. Be on this journey of working towards becoming like Christ, but stop being so puffed up with pride. You're really not fooling anyone, by the way. We all know the real you because we know the real us. We're wicked sinners, too, and we can have that self-righteous attitude. Letter uh, B, not only be humble, but be gentle. Use kind and gentle words. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know how to push people's buttons. I know how to push people's buttons. You know the buttons that I know best how to push are my wife's because I know her better probably than anyone else. And she knows how to push my buttons. Do you know that? Many times we hurt the people closest to us because we know them very well. But a soft answer, when we're tempted to, uh, when we're tempted to react in anger, choose to either say nothing or to say something kind. Grievous words stir up anger. You ever seen a, a situation go from bad 
to worse when you're dealing with a relationship. And, and uh, you know, I've been in situations in counseling where I've just kind of almost felt like they didn't realize I was there because they were fighting and screaming and whatever. And I almost felt like maybe I should just walk out. I really don't want to be a part of this. But there comes a point where we go from bad to worse. And it's like a, it went maybe from a control burn to an all out, just like a, like a forest fire. But that can happen when we begin to uh, put gasoline on a fire and, and using our tongue and our words to stir up anger. And you have a lot of power uh, with your words. And so use your words to de-escalate situations. By God's grace, we need help in this area. Uh, number two, we need to avoid harsh and critical words. Be careful how you say things. My wife has often said, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. You ever been told that before? Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace to the hearers. We need to use our voice and use our tongue to bring, uh, bring calm and peace into our homes. I, I, you, you look at kids and the behavior that kids exhibit, and you just know there's just something not right in that home. There is a, if, if you have an angry child, I'm not saying it's, it's 100% of the time, but many times angry children are the product of an angry home, of a home that is just full of strife. If you have a child that is insecure and, uh, and, and is not uh, confident in the way that they probably should be, just have, have, have security in their life, it's because they come from a, a, a to a tempestuous situation in the home. Be patient, let her see. Allow time for truth to be received. Many times we tell somebody, we say, you did wrong, now you need to fix it. Give them time to grow. That's called grace. Grace is God giving us time to grow, and I'm thankful for his grace. James 1.19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. As my mom used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as much as you speak. Allow time for truth to be received. Number two, avoid being easily angered. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine eleven: A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it until afterwards. Truth without love is brutality, Adrian Rogers says. And love without truth is, is hypocrisy. But speaking the truth in love is Christianity. If you look there at verse number 15, the Bible says, Chapter 4, uh, going back to our, our text, uh, Ephesians 4 and verse number 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things. This is speaking of maturity. We've talked about this several times, verse 14, uh, to not be an immature Christian who's carried about with every wind of doctrine. But then in verse 14, a mature person knows how to speak the truth in love. Mature in speech, he's saying. One of the marks of a mature person is that he can tell the truth, but he can tell the truth in a loving way. Children cannot do that. Did you know that? Children struggle because of their, um, uh, they're not completely developed in that way. Sometimes children are completely blunt. Have you ever heard of a kid saying something that is true? but extremely offensive. And sometimes that kid has been your kid. Uh, I, I really don't like hearing some of the things that my kids say that they told their teacher uh, when they come home from school or maybe they told to another kid. Or uh, Then I, I'm a little bit entertained when I hear about how they're sharing, sharing what another kid said to the teacher or what another kid said to another kid. I'm like, ooh, that's gonna be an interesting conversation. And, uh, but sometimes our kids say things that are true but are probably inappropriate. Uh, you know, going up to, to you and saying, boy, your breath stinks, Mom. Didn't we hear that this morning? <laughs> or no, it's actually you saying Callie's breath stinks. <laughs> oh, okay. But your breath stinks. And that's not very nice. Might be true, but it's, it's just probably not appropriate. 
And there's other ways of saying that. Of course, maturity helps us as we grow and we, we begin to have, uh, especially when it comes to areas of doctrine and real uh, heart issues, we're dealing with things in, in other people's lives, in our spouse's life, in our children's life, in the lives of other Christians, uh, in the lives of our coworkers, our neighbors. Uh, God needs to give us wisdom on how to say the right thing, but in the right way. There's so much more that could be said about all of this. But... Um, Kids, they know the truth many times, but they don't know how to tell the truth in love. But a mature person will speak the truth in love. How about you? Are you struggling with this? Sometimes people say, well, I, I just, I always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's because you have not matured in this area. You need to grow. Ask God for help. It's not gonna come from, uh, you know, just you know, wanting or wishing that you would be able to say the right thing is first getting an understanding of what is right. That's why we spent so much time on this foundation. What is truth? And it's getting that foundation. This is true. Thus saith the Lord. The word of God is true. But now, how do I share that truth with others in a way that God would be pleased with? See, we cannot follow the same hypocritical, self-righteous uh, path that so many people did in Jesus' day. You looked at the Pharisees. You saw how they condemned this woman. You saw how the Pharisee bragged to God. But how do we have that, that, uh, that same uh, heart of Jesus Christ, the heart of humility? Paul says it this way, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The whole book of Philippians, but especially chapter two, we talk about the humility of Christ. He humbled himself. Oh, yes, he could have condemned the world, and he would have been justified in doing so, but because of love, he came, and he gave us a way of escape that we did not deserve. And so many people in our life do not deserve mercy, but we can show them mercy because we want to show them the love of God. Christ. Amen? So how about that? How, can we all grow in that area? Souls Harbor Baptist Church, a family of love. Could this be said of us? Spreading truth in Milwaukee with blessing from above. Led by Jesus' example, they shine a bright light, guiding lost souls towards a path that's right. Their love for people that knows no bounds. With open hearts, they spread love all around. Their words are truthful, yet gentle and kind. With Jesus in their hearts, they always remind of a love that's unending and a hope that's true. Souls Harbor Baptist Church, a family for you. In this community, their light will always shine, bringing hope and love till the end of time. May that be spoken in honesty of this church. If you would, let's stand to our feet with every head bowed and every eye closed as we pray. Everyone that is here, has something that you need to say to God. There might be somebody here that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and you've, you've been confronted with the truth either today or at other times, your need of salvation. Of course, as we said, all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. We don't deserve to be in God's presence. The wages of our sin is death, but the balance of that is, is God's perfect balance. We deserve judgment. We deserve death. But Romans 6.23, although the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's not many ways to heaven. There's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, if, you're, if you've been confronted with truth, understand that although it's true, you're condemned to hell in your lost condition because of your human nature, your sin nature. You're born with that Adamic nature from Adam and Eve that was given to you. But because of that, Jesus died because of his love for you in your, in your needy hour. And right now, if you are aware of that need and you say, you know what, I, I need to receive forgiveness of my sins and I need to be restored into a relationship, a proper relationship with my creator who loves me. If that's your need this morning, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but all, all I'm gonna ask is that you would come and talk to one of our counselors and uh, there's no need for you to, 
feel like you're gonna be pressured into making a decision today. But I'm gonna tell you, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, you, sh- you need to make a decision for the Lord. But if you'd like to come and talk to somebody for counseling, in a moment I'm gonna give you that opportunity. As soon as you hear the piano play, you come and you talk to somebody. If there's somebody here this morning, maybe you're a believer, you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior. But you heard the message and you, you said, you know what, <laughs> I know it's right but I don't know always how to, sh- to say what's right. Sometimes, I fr- sometimes I, I'm af- afraid. Sometimes I'm f- uh, afraid of what a man or a woman will say to me, what somebody will think of me. As the Bible says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. When you trust in the Lord, the Bible says that you will find safety. It's not always easy to say what's right, but it's always right to say what's right. But you say, I, I, I don't always say what's right, and that's my need. You come and ask prayer. Uh, you come and talk to somebody for counseling. If you'd like to get some encouragement in that way, we'd love to help you. Uh, some of you say, well, I, I, I know I need to be out soul winning. I need to be a witness for Christ in my workplace. I need to be a witness on my block. He said, I just don't know, I, I don't know how to do that. I'm afraid to do that. You know what? You're not alone. <laughs> we all need God's help. We all need the Holy Spirit with us. And so, first of all, admit you got a problem. Admit that you need help. That's, that's the first step. The second thing is that you would come and say, say, say to one of our counselors or myself, find somebody that will keep you accountable and be an encouragement to you. Maybe, you're, maybe your issue is a little different. Maybe your issue is that you, uh, you know it's right, you're under conviction about that, but you're not always, uh, you're not always willing to say uh, in the right moment. You're maybe in a family situation, and uh, you, you know it's right, and, excuse me, you are uh, saying too much, or you're saying it in the wrong way. You're not saying it with a heart of love, and you need wisdom. You need help with how to uh, take the truth and, and to, with godly wisdom, be able to share that truth in an effective but loving way. Because I believe that is God's will. I don't think that God wants us to be uh, blunt and unkind and rude and uh, because I believe that that does more harm for the cause of Christ. So you need help in this area. Of course, so many people have found out by, by dealing with their family, maybe at Christmas or at other, other times, you're dealing with some very, very uh, belligerent situations, but, but sometimes you've kind of put some, uh, made it harder on yourself because of how aggressive you were. There's nothing wrong with being aggressive and zealous, but there's wisdom in knowing how to go about sharing truth. And so maybe that's your need today. You come, ask, ask for help, or at least ask for prayer. Everyone has something that they need to talk to God about today. So whatever that area is, you say, Lord, help me, and uh, help me to grow in this way. You like to come to the altar. The altar's open. We can pray together as a church family down here. And uh, our prayer is that our church would be that beacon of love and beacon of hope in this world, that we would not dip our sails, that we would not, uh, we would not go into, uh, to, to weaken the gospel, to weaken the truth, to water it down in any way, but that we would have godly wisdom on how to love this world for Christ. Father, I pray that you bless this time of invitation. I pray that you would um, give us uh, just a wonderful time of, of help and encouragement where we're loving each other, where we're uh, praying for one another today. I pray that you would give us just a sweet spirit at this time of, of invitation. I pray for the, the lost souls that are either here or maybe watching online. I pray that you would give us uh, an opportunity to counsel with them, to encourage them. I pray for those that are saying too much or for the other issue, those that are not saying the right thing at the right time.